so good to be here and, and see you all and worship with you all. I miss it. And, and yet my calling is to be here and there. I, I do, um, it, it, let me just stop and, and say this. <laughs> this congregation blesses me every time I'm near and a lot of times when I'm far. Um, coming here this morning, I've, I've been prayed for about five, six times already. Some was planned, others were spontaneous and uh, you know, the small group earlier and then people in the hall and just, it's, it's so good to be a part of this this body. I do ask for your prayers uh, too. I start a revival tonight in Southside, Virginia, Broadnax. It's a church that disaffiliated yesterday. And so um, be there um, tonight through Tuesday night and um, excited, praying that it wouldn't just be a revival that we put on the calendar. Anybody can put a revival on the calendar, right? But that God would come in power. God would visit us, and, and uh, that's our my longing. So we welcome that. We are we are <clears throat> launching into this um, study of the Beatitudes, and so um, let's stand together. And I want to give you the context here. The context, as Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount, is that He's been healing people, the blind see, the lame walk. He's been delivering people of demonic oppression and demonic activity. They are set free. There is a giant stir going on, and people want to see him. And so the crowds have formed. And so we pick up in Matthew chapter 5, be reading verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, we are so grateful that you sent your Son. And Jesus, we are so grateful you came willingly and taught and loved and served and washed your feet and laid down your life and took it up again. We acknowledge our lack that sometimes, Lord, we just don't get it. But we acknowledge your lack of lack, that you're almighty. And that you can break through in our hearts and our minds. So open our hearts, open our minds to receive everything you have for us today. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And the scripture says, and he sat down. <laughs> Just like you all. Um, when a rabbi sits down to teach... They're saying this is serious. Jesus was teaching while they were walking on the roads. Jesus was teaching while they were in the marketplace in the temple. But if a rabbi sits down, he's saying, don't miss this. This is big. So he's laying it out. This is my teaching. Get ready. The gospel's written in the Greek, but likely Jesus proclaimed this message in Aramaic. Um, in the Greek, when it says he opened his mouth, well, why do you say that? You already have, he taught them, right? You, it's there. To, the writer is trying to say again, this is very, very important. Um, it's the opening of the heart and mind to share something weighty and not something random. And then what's fascinating is that verb taught. 
and he taught them. In the Greek, it's the imperfect. And so the imperfect is ongoing past action. It's not a one-time thing. And so Matthew is wanting us to know that this is a regular, repeated teaching. You may have thought the Sermon on the Mount was a one-time thing, and somebody was taking really good notes. We're grateful for the stenographers or the note-takers or the minute-takers, aren't we? But what Matthew is making clear here is this was the summary, the essence, the core of all that Jesus continually taught his disciples. They didn't hear this one time. They heard this over and over and over again. And that's why so many of the great women and men of God that have lived, loved, and served Jesus well keep pointing us back to the Sermon on the Mount. As a young believer, I wanted to skip over it because I didn't understand it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'll let somebody smarter than me figure that out. <laughs> keep going. Keep, blessed are those who mourn. No, thank you. <laughs> right? and, and so it's hard, but the, the great women and men of God point us back here because there is a depth here that I suspect none of us have plumbed. I have not. But, but the more I walk with Jesus, the more I see there's, there's truths here. There's reality here. There's an offer here for me, for you. And so again, this is what he continually taught his disciples. And so when he sat down, it says his disciples came to him. I'm glad you're here, right? I hope you're glad your neighbor is here, that all of us are here. You came today because you're part of a community that puts Jesus first. You're longing for more of Jesus and more of his teachings. Amen? Amen. I am. Absolutely I am. And, and I wonder, though, if we look back on our week, how often did we come to him? It's a struggle, isn't it? We can be honest in church, right? <laughs> it's a struggle for preachers, right? Um, and, and so you all know this, but it's good to hear. Sunday morning's not enough. I've never met a, an honest believer who was really living for Christ that, that could get by by just Sunday morning worshiping, hey, Sabbath time, and that Monday morning comes. And Monday morning has challenges that Sunday knows nothing of. Am I right? <laughs> so is Tuesday. And so this, this coming to him and, and sitting at his feet and, and listening and receiving, it's hard, but it is necessary. God wants to bless you in times of fellowship in your prayer closet. And we will miss blessing. We will miss revelation. We will miss equipping and preparation if we don't just come to him daily. The Sermon on the Mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes. And so there's eight times that the, the scripture begins with the word makarioi. And, and it's, it's blessed. Or some of the, the looser translations say happy. Happy are those um, who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Um, it's a unique word, this, this Greek word makarioi. And, and one thing that might help us a little bit is in the ancient world, the island of Cyprus, I don't know if anybody's vacationed there or ever been there, but they used to call it the, the Macaria Island, the blessed, the happy island. And it was because Cyprus was so rich and fertile and fruitful and beautiful 
that you didn't have to leave its shores. Everything that you ever needed was right there. And that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us with these eight different blessed or makarioi or happy are statements. And so I'm just focusing on one this morning. But, but the, the cumulative effect of those eight are this is what you need. This is what you need for being in the state of blessedness. And so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you just got to say, blessed? That doesn't sound blessed, to be poor in spirit. Interesting, too, and, and digging into the Greek on this a little bit, um, there's a couple different words in the Greek for poor. And this isn't like poor working class poor. This is destitute poor. This is you got nothing. You got nothing. And so the destitute in spirit. It's to be, to be poor in spirit or destitute in spirit. It's the clear recognition of our spiritual bankruptcy in and of ourselves with no chance to become solvent. In and of myself, it ain't happening. I need something from the outside. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. In the Hebrew uh, scriptures, the, the Old Testament, um, there's some, some is an understatement, there's hundreds, but there's verses that talk about the poor. And, and if you put them all together and get a, a sense of where they're coming from, there's this sense that the poor are looking up. The poor don't have their hands full, so they're ready to receive. In Psalm 34, 6, it says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Um, so, so the poor in Scripture so often are the ones looking up. Because they know their need. They know their need. Sometimes the rich, we think we've got it all. And I say we on purpose. Because I read recently, you all, that if you make more than $32,000 a year, you're in the top 10% on the planet. How's that? You're rich, right? You're rich. We're rich. I'm rich. Um, and, and so... The poor are looking up. The poor have open hands ready to receive. And, and the scripture also says, Psalm 132, I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Some theologians has, have even talked about God's preferential option for the poor. Now, that's a big theological phrase that we're not going to unpack necessarily. And I would never say God loves the poor more than the rich. God is love. And so he's emanating that. But he seems to, to be attracted to the hurting, to the underdog, to the broken, to those who have been oppressed and gone through injustice and suffering. And that so often in the world is the poor. <laughs> Years ago, I, uh, I shared something profound. And fortunately, one of my, my students said, that was profound. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably would have skipped it. Um, and, and it has to do with, with the poor. In Luke's gospel, he doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
That's a little different. That's a lot different. That's huge, right? So I was in Nicaragua and working with the college students and talking about the poverty that they're going to see. I had been there many times and, and I had been to the trash dump where people were living and raising their families and trying to eke out a living by gathering plastic and anything that could, could gain a peso for, for recycling purposes. And so I was trying to prepare them for this and I said, talking about the scriptures, I said, you know, the, the, the poor, their hands are empty. But the rich and wealthy, their hands are full. And so at best when Jesus comes, they can kind of give Jesus a side hug. But the poor, full embrace. Because they're careful, those of us who are wealthy and rich, right? Drop it all. Full hug. As he comes to us with his nail-scarred hands. Amen? Amen. And, and so, blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor are able to receive. The poor in spirit are looking to receive because they know their lack. Something else that's fascinating about these eight passages, blessed are, is that there's no are, A-R-E. There's no verb in these statements. It's, it's rather, rather translated, oh, the blessedness of those who are poor in spirit. There's not a verb in there. Oh, the blessedness of those who are poor in spirit. It's a state of being. And it lines up with the Psalm 1-1, where, where you might remember, um, Oh, the blessedness of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. wicked. It's in that same kind of framework. This is the state you want to live in, um, being poor in spirit. As I was thinking about the message, I thought, what, what's the opposite of poor in spirit? Is it rich in spirit? Is it arrogant and independent, unaware of your desperate spiritual need and utter helplessness? I think it is. It's the state of self-sufficiency. Um, I got this, God. I'll call you if anything gets difficult. Right? I'm good. I'm good. I can't do that. I can't live like that because I, I, I fool myself. And I can do some things, but there's no fruit. There's nothing that lasts. And so a, a daily recognition that I need God is crucial. So true faith begins here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I lack. It's a recognition that we bring nothing to the table except our needy, fallen selves. And then how clearly we see our need for a Savior. There's, a, there's somebody in this congregation, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him, so I won't name him, but I sat down with him a, a year or two ago, and, um, and he talked to me about his coming to faith story, and he said it was the Sermon on the Mount that he read, and he felt hopeless, hopeless. He's like, I can't attain that. I can't live up to that. What will I do? And then the gospel started to make sense. Wait a minute. He came for me anyway. He loves me. I need him. I need a savior definitely. And it was just this, this Matthew 5, 6, 7 that opened him to his knee because he became poor in spirit. So how do you assess it in your own life? Are, are, you, are you poor in spirit? 
Or are you arrogant and rich in spirit? I thought about my own life, and I thought one of the things that I think is a gauge for me in telling whether or not I'm poor in spirit is my prayer life. I talked to the, to the small group earlier this morning, and, and I love to talk about drive-through prayers, right? Lord, I need some patience. I need help with this project. Really like that promotion and a side order of fries, please. Do go. You know, it's, it's the rushed prayers. And please don't hear me wrong. Those drive-through prayers are good and needed. Keep them going, right? We see, um, we see those in the, in the scriptures of, of uh, Nehemiah going to the king and, and doing a drive-through prayer right before he opens his mouth and talking to the king. We need those. But if I don't have that uninterrupted, focused time of prayer, I start to, start to falter. My, my love is diminished. My peace is diminished. Because I think what I'm saying to God by my prayerlessness and my unwillingness to be in his presence for longer periods of time is, I got this. I got this. Call you if I need you. And so I don't know if that's true for you. I suspect it's probably true for you. But, but do you That's the life he designed, that he's the vine, you're the branches. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And so, so what does this prayer, uh, this poor in spirit look like? Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The prodigal son knew his lack. He knew his utter helplessness. He's going to die in that foreign land. He's got nothing to eat. He's starving. Things are bad. <clears throat> and he knows his sin. And yet he goes into the father's arms. And the father, of course, then meets him with great, great love. It, it looks like Josiah, the king, weeping and tearing his robes and humbling himself before God because the book of the law has just been found. It's been under a cover, a pile of dust in the sanctuary for years and decades because everybody found other gods that were more like the ones they wanted. And they were serving false gods. And Josiah finds the book of the law and he humbles himself before God, weeps, tears his robes. That's poor in spirit. And then he led his people in repentance because he knew the sin of himself and his people. It, it looks like the woman who comes in and starts washing Jesus's feet with her hair and with her tears and with that, that bottle of perfume. She knew her poverty of spirit. She knew her lack. She knew her utter helplessness. And he met her. He met her. If you know your need and you turn to him and call out, he's there. He's faithful. He loves you. He's for you. But we have to recognize that need. It looks like Peter, after that great catch of fish, right? He's the fisherman. That guy's the rabbi. And then the, the rabbi tells him where to catch fish. And the ships are sinking because of the weight of the, the fish. Remember what Peter says? Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. That's poor in spirit. I got nothing, Jesus. I'm not worthy to even be in your presence, right? 
but he'll never depart from Peter and he'll never depart from you because he came for those who are helpless. He came for those who are lost. He came for those who are broken. He came for those who are wounded and needy and feeling lonely and unloved. He came for you and he loves you with a perfect, perfect love. And so God's goodness, as Valerie said this morning, God's goodness leads us to repentance. The goodness of that catch of fish, right? Led Peter to this state of poverty and spirit, and Jesus met him and met him and lifted him. And so, oh, the blessedness of those who are poor in spirit. It's a present blessedness. It's the joy of Jesus in spite of your circumstances, knowing that I don't have much, but I'm loved. I'm loved as I am. And all my brokenness and all my sin and all my failures, I'm loved. And he's with me and he's for me and he's lifting me. I need him. I dare not. I dare not disconnect from him. Um, one of my favorite, favorite writers is Oswald Chambers. He's, he's taught me tons. And some of you know his, his great devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. This is a little lengthy, but... It's rich, and I'll send it to you if, if you can't get it here in this next minute or so. Um, he, he says this about the, the, what Jesus is up to, what his goal is. He says the characteristic of a disciple is not that he does good things, but that he is good in motive because he has been made good by the supernatural grace of God. The only thing that exceeds right doing is right being. Jesus Christ came to put into any man or woman who would let him a new heredity, which would exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus Christ claims that by his redemption, he can put into any man or woman his own disposition and make him pure and as simple as a child. I just love the way he writes. This is the gospel. He came to forgive you. He came to heal you. He came to grant you salvation because it's already paid for. And he came to give you a new. And he's the hope of glory. So that. Good. Because all my sins are. Because I'm connected. Bless me while I was an enemy of his. And so that, this is the supernatural life that he's, he's longing for us. So I thought about the, the poor in spirit. I thought about the song. Um, and I can't remember who, who um, is the author. But um, you can have all this world. But give me Jesus. That's poor in spirit. I've found the source. I've found the source. Nothing else matters. And so we haven't even really begun talking about theirs is the kingdom, right? And that could be a second sermon, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to give you a little. <laughs> What's the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> the reign and the rule of a king is the kingdom, right? And we started our country by rejecting a kingdom, right? We said, King George, no taxes for you, right? So it's hard for us living in this constitutional republic, a democracy, because that, that, we rejected a kingdom. But the kingdom always has a king, and it's the, the reign and the rule of that king. 
All the kingdoms of the world advanced by the sword, and we're seeing that so tragically around the world. But Jesus' kingdom, King Jesus advances his kingdom through sacrificial love, conquering hearts one by one, so that then I'm willing to sacrificially love. Remember that the to the kingdom of heaven. That's too Thy here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdoms of the world will be wrapped up and swallowed by the That's what we're heading towards. And so he says for it is the Father's Give us the king. Gives us a savior, and Jesus comes in. So that your mind can be the mind of Christ. That you're no longer thinking is renewing my mind, and I'm thinking how to bless other people. And so that my heart is not just Greg's heart that desires selfish things, but my desires are transformed. And so the kingdom is ruling in me. And so my desires are, are for the kingdom, for the advancement of Jesus here, there, and everywhere. And so to, to do a little check on your, your poverty, it don't measure by spirit. I need to change that. If you're so joyful Hallelujah. You're doing it. Live it. Love it. Share it. Everywhere. But if there's some arrogance that might be creeping in, if there's some independence where you're like, I don't need God for that, or, or this area is off limits, then we need some spiritual poverty. We absolutely do. And so the invitation is for you to just simply search your heart. Just simply search your heart. And, and as we go through this whole series, um, to desire that these attributes, that these characteristics are a reality in your life. Because when you're poor in spirit, he meets you. He meets you and you receive. Um, so, last scripture. Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Oh, I love that. To, to revive the heart, the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. And so that's, that's what we're aiming for, and then he meets us. That word revive, any paramedics in here? You know what the word revive means, right? It means you're dead, but you're brought back to life. And that's what Jesus does for us when we bring all of that to him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your humility. Thank you that you're merciful and kind. Thank you that you're gentle and, and humble in spirit and that you call us to the same. 
Jesus, let us be a congregation where we, we know our lack and daily it is met by your abundance and we live out that abundant life in Christ. And we overflow, Lord, so that others would say, what's going on in you? Help me to know your faith. Help me to know your God. So Jesus, bless us, we boldly ask. Bless us so that we might be a blessing in Williamsburg and Virginia this country and to the ends of the earth. All for your glory, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.